If you're listening to this, you're a mortgage pro who is probably wanting to scale your mortgage business. Scott has created a $25 million mortgage blueprint that will help you lay the foundation to help you achieve $25 million or more in annual production. If you are already crushing $25 million, no worries. There is a $50 and $100 million blueprint for those who qualify. You can find out more at www.ilovemortgagebrokering.com slash blueprint. That's www.ilovemortgagebrokering.com slash blueprint. Coaching. I mean, I think coaching made me, I found purpose. The most inspiring stories from today's most successful mortgage brokers. Join your host, Scott Peckford, on I Love Mortgage Brokering. Hey, Broker Nation, Scott Peckford here from $100 Million Journey, Episode 4. This is a new project we're working on, and we're jacked. It's a new video and podcast series called The $100 Million Journey. We're going to apply the best of what we've learned in 160 interviews in real time to my business partner's business with the goal of getting her from $8 million a year in production to $100 million a year in production. We're going to video document the ups and downs of what it takes to build a $100 million business. Check it out at ilmb.com slash 100mdj. That's 100mdj. Also, over the next 12 months, we'll be producing two podcasts with high-producing mortgage pros that can help Jules on our way, and we may have a specialist or two along the way, depending on what we need. On this episode, I talked to Hunter Mark Ward. He's a LO in North, from Northern California. He's in the top 100 on the Scotsman Guide, did $135 million in production last year. He knows a thing or two about putting mortgages together. A couple of awesome insights from our chat. First, there was a period when he first started out where he was six months from quitting, and he talks about how he found a coaching program that completely changed his business, provided accountability and structure, and tripled his income in that six months, and has since gone on to seven times his income. He also shares advice on how he markets the listing agents in order to build new relationships. I think this is great advice for anybody who's looking to build more realtor relationships. And this interview was actually recorded before we launched the $100 million journey. So I didn't ask him for advice for Jules, but I did ask him what advice he would give himself if you were to start over. And this applies to not only Jules, but probably to you too. I think you're going to really dig this episode. So check it out. This show is sponsored by clientcaller.com. After 160 plus interviews, I can tell you with absolute certainty, one of the most effective ways to increase your business is to consistently call your past clients, keyword being consistently. I can also tell you that most brokers struggle with this because they get too busy working in their business. Client Caller is an amazing service for professional calling assistants call your past clients for you. The cool thing is they use your phone number and the caller ID and your voice in the voicemail. The callers look like they're sitting in your office. However, our callers are all located in Canada and love talking on the phone. If you're interested in getting set up on this service, check it out, clientcaller.com. Hey, Hunter, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I appreciate the uh, opportunity. So can you just tell me a little bit about yourself and your business? Yeah. So I've been in the lending business for 13 years now, based out of Northern California. I have seven people on my team currently. Uh, We focus primarily on the purchase side of the business as opposed to the refinance side of the business, which I think everyone is saying now that rates are up, but that's our our, our business model is based on that. So how did you get into the mortgage business? Because no one in kindergarten says, hey, when I grow up, I'm going to be an LO, you know, top 100 LO in the country. So that's, I'm kind of curious how you've fell into this industry? Yeah. So after I graduated with a degree in finance from University of Arizona, and I 
thought that I wanted to be in finance and then nobody would hire me because I wasn't in Princeton or Harvard or Yale. So I went into sales and started selling Nextel phones. That was actually fun and great. And then three years into that, I decided to go into software and I was in software for six years and realized, I've said this many of times, but you know, basically I'm selling a product that people don't understand solving a problem nobody knows they have to people that don't really like me. And at the same time, I was commuting about... You're really making me want to get into selling software, yeah, exactly. man. <laughs> exactly. I guess it's, it depends on what type of software, but in any event, it, I was commuting between 90 and you know, somewhere between an hour and a half and two hours a day. And basically just came home one day, I think it was 29, and just said to my wife that I absolutely had, I mean, I literally had a meltdown on the freeway and started screaming the F word and pounding my hand on the, on the steering wheel and, uh, you know, like just panic attack and came home. And two days later, I, I quit my family. His, my dad was on the banking side as a wholesaler and he and I talked about it and I just decided that, Hey, if I could. I didn't put a ton of thought into it outside of getting, it was more like getting out of something else as opposed to, wow, this is really what I want to do. Like you said, and my dad actually said it to me as well. It's like, you know, the one thing about this business is once you get in it, you don't really get out of it. And nobody really wants to, you know, it's kind of a strange thing when you're going into a job that nobody wants to be in, like you said, in kindergarten. So, but it's turned out to be fantastic. I'm very glad I made the move. Okay, so a couple of thoughts on that. So you have your you meltdown because you're like, man, I hate this. Were you doing well in that, like financially, anyway? Yeah, I, I was. I mean, I had a you know had a big base salary. I just closed a huge deal with you know six figure commission on the other end of it, and so yeah, I was doing well. It was just you know I think it was following it more for my ego because it was cool to sell software, certainly cooler than to sell a loan. But I just hate it. You know, you can only, you know, you can only do something you don't want to do for so long before you got to just pull the cord and, and bail. That's what I did. You obviously go home, say, hey, to your wife, look, I'm done with this. So there must have been a bit of fear or trepidation to basically walk from a six figure sales job when you didn't know where you're going. It was fearful. It was scared. You know, I mean, I was scared. I was but at the same time, you know, I think sometimes you, you, you end up getting, you experience the most growth when you go through a situation. And I think sometimes you just need to pull the cord. And by doing that, you don't want to be stupid about it. And I don't think I was being stupid about it because I, I just, I hated what I was doing so bad. It was going to lead to, I mean, I wasn't happy with, you know, you know I was a jerk at home. I was a jerk to myself I was a jerk to my friends. I mean, so it was going down the wrong direction and I knew that, but at some point we all have to make decisions. And at some point you literally just have to draw a line in the sand and say, I'm doing this. And I did it. And I don't want to say I haven't looked back since, but I've looked, I haven't looked back a whole lot. Okay. And then at what point did you realize that, Hey, I got this, this new career getting into becoming an LO. When was it the point where you were like, it clicked for you? I'm going to say when I started doing the coaching, just because up until that point in time, our business, our market is very, we have large loan amounts and a lot of people make a living in my market on refinances alone. And it, when I got into the business, which was 2003 or four, it was when all the high flying products were out. It's when people were doing cash out refinances, you know, or re interest rates were dropping and you're just refinancing people. And it wasn't very gratifying. And I would say I was making a pretty good living doing it, but I had no purpose. I had no plan. I was a hard worker. My dad 
raised me to, to work hard, but, but I really didn't have any type of plan around what I was doing or why I was doing it. So for the first five years, even for six years, it was almost like it was a paycheck more than it was. It was certainly a job, not a career. And then when I started after the mortgage meltdown took place, I was literally going to go back into software. That's how bad the market had dropped. And I just decided at the last minute, a friend of mine uh, had been in this program that I'm in now. And all of a sudden I saw his numbers starting to shoot up our leaderboard. And I asked him what he was doing and he told me about it. And I just, I went to a conference for the program and I called my wife and said, Hey, I want to, you know, um, let's sign up for this. It was 2000 bucks a month at the time. And I said, let's sign up for this. And we both agreed that if that didn't work in a six month period of time, that I would get out of the mortgage business and go back into the job that I absolutely hated, but you know, we needed to make money. So, and then once I started coaching, it just, I haven't looked back since. Okay. So let me ask you about that with the coaching. So you said, Oh, I got the six month commitment. What happened in that first six months that made you decide, Hey, I actually, I'm going to stick around. For one, I just started thinking more about just, I, I would call purposeful thinking about my business model, right? Like if I'm going to make a living doing this, I need to be doing purchases and not refinances. I need to hire people that do the stuff for me that I hate to do. And I need a daily plan. And I need accountability and I need structure. And in a six month period of time, I did that. And, you know, lo and behold, my income at the time, it wasn't that hard for it to do, but my income tripled the momentum of where, of what my annual income would look like after six months had tripled. And I was just having more fun. I mean, waking up and showing up and having a purpose to your day is more fun than not knowing what the day, you know, just showing up at your desk thinking, Hmm, what am I going to do today? So that, that's what I would say took place in six months. So would you say you were always coachable? Because it seems to me that one of, cause you're part of the core. So everybody's listening Oh, what program is that? So the core, but if you don't do the work, it doesn't like the best coaching in the world is useless to you if you don't actually do the things they say to do. But were you always coachable or were you only, were you at the point where you're like, Hey, I'll do anything at this point. So I don't have to go back to software. I would say that was it. I, I don't, I think I'm coachable. And at the same time, I'm probably more coachable today than I ever have been in my life. I think, you know, you have to be willing to be vulnerable, to be coached and to be coachable. You have to have a lower amount of pride and ego to be coachable. When I think of like, when I think of students or even myself, it's like good students, bad students. It's just people that won't, you know, they just don't want to listen. So yeah, I would, I would say that I've always been reasonably coachable, but I'm more coachable today than I ever have been. Okay. So then how did your business grow from that initially joining the coaching program? So what kind of percentage of growth have you seen? over the last, how many years has it been now? Six or seven that you've been involved? It's been seven years since I joined the program. And it's kind of a hard thing to say because like, I think there's different metrics. I mean, just as far as my actual income, my income has gone up seven times. My savings has gone up five X, but more importantly, it's also almost hard to say. Cause like when I joined, when I started, I was literally probably 10 to 15% purchase and 85 to 90% refinance. And now I'm year to date, 87% purchase driven with a business model that continues to grow. So, you know, I think if you just use the metrics, we're closing, you know, my team and I are closing on average 20 to 25 loans a month. And of those 22 of them are going to be purchases on a monthly basis. So it's just a better business model. 
Right. Okay. So seven times seven X increase in income, five X increase in savings. And how much time do you work now in your business compared to what you were doing before? Is it about the same? Is it different? I would say it's probably, it's about the same. It's just much more purposeful activity doing what I want to do. So even though it's the same amount of hours, the efficiencies and the effectiveness of the time that I'm working is a much different level than it was seven years ago. Okay. And then what about holidays? So how, what kind of holidays have you built in a, a way to be able to get away? Cause I, I talked to some LOs and some mortgage people and they're like, man, I, my phone is always going, I can't get a break. Are you able to do that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, even when I travel for the core as an example, I've got to be at summits that take they're twice a year and they're a week at a time. And I literally will the way that my team is set up, I'll come out of a summit having to respond to maybe four emails and make a phone call or two. So I think that's the whole thing that we all have to focus on. If you have structure, if you know what type of, you know, if you know what type of referral partners you want to have, people that respect your time, people that, it doesn't mean that things aren't going to come up, but you still, there's just, you can set expectations, and I know it sounds unrealistic, but you can. You can set expectations with clients and referral partners, and if they're the right referral partners and the right clients, they respect that. And then occasionally, if you have some urgent deal that comes in on a Sunday afternoon, then so be it. Most of the time, that's just not the case. I mean, I really don't talk to realtors on the weekend, and I don't talk to clients on the weekend. And quite frankly, my team doesn't really either. It's about setting expectations. And then if something urgent does happen, then you jump on it. But most of the time, it just doesn't need to be that way. It's actually false. You don't. You, it's all depends on how you, you train people how to treat you, is what I always say, and how you structure your business and, and as long as you're setting the right expectations. So tell me about failure. So I know that obviously, you know, sometimes things don't work out, but looking back, there's always a lesson in it. So can you share something you failed at, but now looking back, there was a lesson in it for you? I have failed at a ton of things and continue to do so, but I, I think... One that stands out for me was actually not in the mortgage business. It was in the software business where I was two weeks into the job and I was forced to go to Enron in Houston and I was doing a presentation for 20 executives. And granted, I had absolutely no business being there, nor did my VPS sales have in sending me there by myself, but I, I bombed the presentation and the person at Enron ended up calling one of our board members and who then called my CEO and said, the sales engineer was good, but whoever your sales guy is, he's horrible. And being into a job for two weeks and getting that kind of feedback when you're worried about what people think and you're already intimidated and, you know, it was just... Why do you think they said that? What do you think you did that caused them to feel that it wasn't a good presentation? Oh, I just had no idea. You know, I mean, you talk about like what I learned from that is I was put in a situation that I was not going to succeed in. It's more about, you know, the lessons that I took from that is one... I wasn't prepared to be there and I never would have been prepared to be there because I'd only been at the company for two weeks selling a product that was highly technical and I didn't understand it anyway. But the bigger lesson for me too is with everyone around me is you have to put people in positions to succeed. You have to help people succeed. And quite frankly, my VP of sales, who I think was also scared to go on the presentation, so he just threw me out there. You've got to make those calls. When you're at his level, you can't hide from people. You know, you got to, it's like with what we do, if I put it in a, we have to make the tough phone calls. If we're the LO and we're the one that's signing up and we're the ones that are getting paid a lot of money on each transaction, if there's bad news, if there's hard conversations to have, 
we can't hide behind a team member or an assistant or a processor or whatever. We got to make those calls ourselves. So I think that's probably, I mean, there's some very personal lessons for me on that, just as far as, you know, preparation. I couldn't have fixed that because it was such a short time horizon, but you got to prepare for things. You got to prepare for your day. You got to prepare, you got to study. And then if you do all of that, then at some point when you're actually put in the position, then you execute without, you know, being so nervous that you can't, you know, talk without your voice quivering. Right. That makes sense. And you're right. Like as the LO, the person who's in, you've got to be the one to, to deal with the, the crap, right? If something goes sideways. And yeah, absolutely. And throw your two week employee out there and say, hey, you deal with this because I don't want to. That's just bad form. So tell me about your team. So you obviously, I always think that your business has three parts. There's leads, there's teams, and there's systems. And so tell me about your team. Who's on your team and what do they do? So I have, I'm kind of the same with what you said. I I have three general principles, which is structure, accountability, and leadership. Those are my three things. And so the structure, the way that we are set up is I have one administrative assistant who is purely responsible for my, she handles my coaching stuff um, for my students. She handles my calendar. So everything gets calendared through her. She handles my thank you cards. She tracks, you know, our gifting program. She runs all of that. If we're working with a realtor on a broker tour or something, she'll set that up for me. And then I have a team captain uh, who can do everything. She's a combination of sales and operations. So when I'm on vacation, something like that, like she'll jump in to make the calls from a client perspective. Uh, She'll meet with clients if, if she has to, she's great. And then I have four technical people that all have kind of a combination of processing and underwriting they are responsible for once after a lead comes in, I'm actually going through some transitionary stuff right now uh, where I had, I had less technical people on the front end and I determined that that was not creating the best client experience. So now it's myself or my team captain talking to clients for you know 15 minutes up front and getting an understanding of what they're trying to accomplish. And then once we have that set up, we will hand it to one of the technical folks and they will take it basically from pre-approval to close. Do you guys have like LP1s and LP2s or? Yeah, that's exactly right. I don't know if you want me to talk in this. I know that's core lingo. So maybe just explain to anybody listening. I know what, what an LP1 and LP2 is, but maybe just. Yeah, it's just, it's a loan partner. LP just stands for loan partner. So a loan partner one typically is someone that is less technical, that is on the front end, that's gathering information, scheduling an appointment taking some very general information. And then an LP2 is someone that's more technical that is helping you get from contract to close, basically. So what I've been working on is just removing the LP1. I shouldn't say I'm removing the LP1. I'm literally, uh, I'm experimenting right now, going back to the whole thing about drawing a line in the sand and deciding, you know, at some point you got to make a decision. I finally just said this isn't working about three weeks ago. And it just, my two LP1s are going to be selling now and getting into sales and not doing LP1 anymore. So I think we have, bottom line is you have to have people that know how to talk to clients up front to create a great client experience. And that's what we're doing now. So Okay. So let me ask you this. How important is client experience? Because myself and our business, our mortgage business is something we just like constantly focus on is what's that experience like from first call right up until we have renewals that mortgages renew in the shorter terms in Canada. But so how important is client experience to your, your focus? I think it's everything. I mean, I think if you can make my, my general theme for all of my, for my referral partners, I believe that my referral partners have to look at me and say, 
Hunter will help me make more money than any other lender I know. And I need my clients to think, and I say this to them, I need you to sit in your, that chair right there. And I need you to believe that you have a greater chance of home ownership with me in your life than any other lender out there. And if you don't believe that as a referral partner or a client, that it's, that I've got a major problem. So if a client is calling a realtor back saying, Hey, that was an unbelievable experience. I cannot believe how great Hunter and his team have been. That's going to help that, you know, that referral partner. I'm now a positive reflection to them. You have a client that's obviously, you know, we talk about a poor raving fans. I mean, if you have clients that are bragging about you, it is a very nice way to do business as opposed to, you know, having to, I mean, I, I, I'm always prospecting and I'm always selling, but it's a hell of a lot more fun and easier when you have incoming phone calls from realtors that want to work with you because they heard about the experience that you're creating for that client. Okay. So what are a couple of things that you do in your customer experience that you, that your clients are like, wow, that was awesome. Well, I think for one, we don't, you know, we try not to have anybody hit voicemail. Obviously if people are calling us after hours, that's going to happen. We do everything we say we're going to do. So that sounds so simple, but just telling someone you're going to return their phone call and then actually returning their phone call, or we're going to follow up with the needs list and actually follow up with the needs list. Like it's amazing how many people just don't do that. We're also very kind. We're, we understand them. We try to understand them personally. We try to understand if they have kids, if they're stressed out, if they're not stressed out, just knowing so that every time they're talking to us, they don't feel like they're talking to, you know, a 1-800 number or, a, you know, an AT&T customer service line. I think from a pure execution standpoint, one thing that definitely helps is, you know, lead comes in, they get a thank you note. Once they get pre-approved, they get one gift. Once they get their loan actually gets approved, they get another gift. Once we close their loan, they get a third gift. So constant communication on a regular basis, on a weekly basis with them, just making sure they feel informed. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's just, it's a massive amount of communication, doing what you say that you're do, going to do, and then making them feel like they're being cared for by giving them gifts along the way. Right. Okay. So just out of curiosity, these gifts that you do at pre-approval and approval and closing, is it unique for each customer or is it, is it something that's fair that, that you have sort of a system for? No, it's, it's not. Cause you, I think you have to be able to automate these things as much as possible. Now I will say this, if we hear, if we get wind of anything, someone's birthday, someone's, you know, they just had a baby, they talk about their kids, they talk about anything, we'll shoot them. There, there's a variety of different gifts that we have. So I might send you know, if someone's pregnant, if someone just had a baby, we'll, we will always send them baby gifts like hand engraved, like towels or something with, with their baby's name on it. But basically on pre-approval, it's a $15 gift card for Starbucks just saying, you know, heavy lifting done, enjoy coffee on us. Once we actually have their loan approved, when they're in contract, we send them a new stamp for their new home so that they've got a, a you know, obviously just a stamp with their new address on it. Mm -hmm. And then at close, we send them a barbecue set. Nice. And that just, it just happens. Yeah. I mean, it happens every single time. They just, you know, they, I, I have found, I've screwed around with different gifts. I've sent brownies, I've sent cookies. I just, I think people are most, these seem right now to work. I, I might tweak them at some point in the future, but right now that seems to be working the best. And how do you avoid voicemail? We have our phone system set up where it literally rings, you know, to me, to myself and my team captain twice. And then if we don't pick up, it rings to all the other LP2s and LP1 and someone picks up the phone. 
So we just we don't want people hitting voicemail. And how do you find competing against like so the rocket mortgage? Is that a problem for you guys in your market? I mean, I think everything's a problem for everybody. You know, I mean, it's not like I don't deal with people shopping for rates, and but it goes back to the whole belief of if you believe, I need you to believe that I'm going to help you get into a house more than any other lender in the planet. Like for me, that means I think you actually have to be able to do things to back that up. For me, I can close in 15 days. Our local reputation with the realtor community out there helps your offer get accepted. I attack the listing agent. I put. Every single time an offer goes in, I put a phone call into the listing agent to help them understand why we've got the right buyer, why we've got the right buyer agent, why I'm the right lender. So I'm very upfront and very direct with people. And I'll just say, if if you're, you know, if someone's asking me about Quicken or something, I'll, I'll tell them. It's like, I think, you know, I think it's a good operation and I think it's probably better on the refinance side than anything else in our market that's highly competitive. If you can't get a hold of a lender because, you know, or the, the, lenders not calling the agent ahead of time, or if the company's reputation is not great, it's going to impact you getting your offer accepted. And the seller doesn't care about what your interest rate is. They care about what the terms are and if they believe that the person on the other end is going to be able to execute. So if someone else is at 45 days or 30 days and I'm at 15 days with no contingencies, then you know is that worth an eighth of a percentage point to you in rate? And usually the answer is yes. Yeah. If you do, you want the house or not, right? Or you want the home? Right. Or not. Exactly. So I mean, it's like you got to be able to say that in the nicest way possible. But at the end of the day, that is what it is. It's like you can have a three percent interest rate with no house, or you can have a four percent interest rate and a home. Which one? You know, it's like it really is that simple. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then on the lead side, so talk about lead systems and team. So are how are you out? looking for new referral partners on an ongoing basis or like you said you go after the listing agent so tell me about what that what do you do there so you get it let's say you're dealing with the buying realtor what do you what kind of things do you do to start to build a bridge relationship with that listing agent well for one we call them every tuesday i mean so like when we go when they accept the offer i call and say hey thank you so much for the opportunity to work with you i know you had other choices i greatly appreciate the opportunity to work with you on this just so you know i'm going to be calling you every tuesday before noon to give you a status update. I'm not going to give you all the details in the world. Obviously, that's with the buyer and the buying agent. But I just want to make sure that you know that we're on track. And if there's anything wrong, I will. I'll be the first one to tell you. And then I do that. I just like talking about it. Just do what I say. And my hope is, if my team and I are executing like we should be, it should be an amazing experience for all parties. And then you know, I might say something up front to say. Hey, you know, my goal, honestly, is to, I want you to believe that this was the greatest experience ever when we're done. And I want it to be easy for me to ask you for a cup of coffee. So just so you know, I don't need an answer right now, but that's what I'm thinking throughout this whole process. And then I keep, you know, when I'm updating them, depending on their personalities, I think it's not, I don't have, I'm not a script guy. I think when you're scripted, people know that you're scripted. And for me, if I'm being scripted, I get annoyed. So depending on their personality, you know, I might, if they're fun and we're having a good time, like, Hey, am I getting, you know, am I getting closer to the cup of coffee? Right. If they're not that, if they're serious, then I'll just, I won't mention it at all. And then at the end I'll go in for, you know, Hey, I might, my hope is that, you know, how was the experience Hunter? It was amazing. Okay. Well, if you thought it was amazing, let me buy you a cup of coffee. I've just spent 30 minutes with you. That's it. Okay. I mean, it happens. It's so easy and at the same time, I'm finding out too in that three week or four week period of time, or even if it's a two week close, whatever, like you're finding out if I even want to work with this person or not. Right. There's a lot of people I don't, you know, you deal with, I'm always looking for new business. 
I always want more business and I'm also right-sizing my referral partners. I don't need to have a relationship with everybody. I just want to write, work with people that they think like I think we have, you know, they, they have respect for us. They have respect for my team. You know, they're committed to the lead. They're committed to, I don't want to work with someone that says, here's three names, call anyone you want. Right. Versus, Hey, I, I really, you know, legally, I need to give you three names. I'm telling you now, number one is Hunter, and he's definitely where you want to start. My guess is you're going to like him out of the gates. If for any other reason he's not, then maybe you call one of the other two people. But he's the best in the business, and you need to talk to him. That's like, that's the referral partner you want. How many realtor partners do you think you have right now? I have 45 relationships with realtors of that. I work with 10 that I just love and that love me. Maybe more than that, but as far as there's a lot of people that we work with that just don't do that much business, but we really enjoy working with them. But we're only closing maybe three or four deals a year with them just because, you know, again, the price points in, in our market are so high that you have a lot more realtors doing less business, right? So they'll, they'll sell a $2 million house, but they'll sell them, you know, five, six times a year. Right, right. Because you can still make a living selling $2 million houses. Exactly. If you're, exactly. Even if you're only selling six or 10 of them a year. Right. Okay. So now what about systems? How do you hold this all together? So you got seven people on your team. You got leads coming in. You're out there making it rain. You've got all, everybody's in their spot. So how, what kind of things do you use to keep you know, things from falling between the cracks? Well, for one, we have a daily team meeting. So every single day we review every single lead that came in the day before. And we look through our lead tracker, which is just on Google Docs. So we're literally looking at that every single morning. Each team member walks away from each team meeting with what we call three big rocks. This is all core stuff, which is it's not like you don't have more than three things to do in a day, but there's three critical things that have to get done. You know, the Jones file might have to be submitted to underwriting. It might, you know, we had to work someone, Bridget, uh, my LP1 had to have the you know, plans reserved for our quarterly team meeting, whatever it is. There's just that each person walks out of this meeting with three big rocks and then you review them the next day. I think that's probably literally the, the single biggest thing that I do from an operations perspective is just having a very quick daily meeting, making sure that everybody's on the same page with what everyone's day looks like. Okay. And then do you use any software to communicate back and forth or to keep fact track of where your files are at, like what stage they're at? Yeah. I mean, we use... RPM uses Encompass from a loan perspective. We use Google Docs for lead tracker. We've got some proprietary software for our CRM that kind of looks and feels like, I think to some regard, like a Salesforce. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we're definitely utilizing technology. Right. That's awesome. So I'm going to ask you, this moves some rapid fire questions. You can answer these as shorter answers if you like. What's the one thing or habit you think that's made you successful? At this point, it's been coaching. I mean, I think coaching made me, I found purpose, you know, I mean, it's like, I enjoy what I do now. I'm kind of a deep thinker. So it's like, it's interesting to me, that whole thing with just the accountability and, you know, what makes you coach, like your question about like, what makes you coachable and just thinking like vulnerability in general, the, the coaching is absolutely what's changed. And by the way, I don't, I mean, I love the core, so I don't want to sound like it's like, go get any coaching, but I think any industry, whatever any of us do, like we're going to be better if we have to answer and, and to someone else. And if someone else can help guide us, there's very few people that are just completely self-motivated that are just going to go out and make it rain. And I, 
I want to think of myself as that person, but I'm not. And it's like the, the faster I'm just real to go, I'm not like, I need to get picked up sometimes. I need to be inspired. I need to have people to talking to me. I need to be, you know, the fact that I'm talking, you know, I'm always getting coached too. And that my coach makes 10 million, literally $10 million a year. It's like, okay, so I'm going to listen to that person because they are in a place that I would love to be. So coaching. Right. Okay. That's really good. So, Hey, if you're wondering what you should be doing with your business, if you're listening to this, you know, get a coaching man, it makes a difference. So if you could recommend one book for listeners, what would it be? Solve for happy. Solve for happy. Solve for happy. The chief business officer of Google wrote it. I literally just read it three weeks ago and it's probably the most impactful book I've ever read. Hmm, I never heard of it. And this is the last question. One of my favorites. Have you ever seen the movie Back to the Future? Of course. Okay. So remember the car. So if I could put you in the DeLorean and I could send you back to your first day as an LO and you could sit down and you say, Hunter, I got to give you some advice, man. Here's three things you should do. What three things would you tell yourself if you could go back to that first day as an LO? I would tell myself to find a coaching program. I would tell myself to understand what I'm good at and delegate everything else. And I would start every single day with a morning routine, a great morning routine. Okay. So what does your morning routine look like? Well, when I'm being a really good boy, which is most of the time, uh, it is a, it's early. It's 4.30 to 5. It's meditating for 16 minutes. I just picked a weird number for six. I don't know why I picked 16, but I picked 16 minutes. I will then go run four miles. I will then come home from the run. And no matter what time of the year it is, I will sit in my pool for 10 minutes, even if it's 45 degrees, just because it just shocks your body and feels great. I will then come out, sit in my family room, read for 20 minutes, and then I will take a shower and get going with my day. And if I do that, I have better days for sure. Right. That's awesome. So I, I often joke that the guys at the core, guys and girls at the core, you're like the Navy SEALs. That sounds like a Navy SEAL morning routine. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you saw me, you would not. You would not. If I was in the Navy SEALs, I would be well retired. Yeah, me too, man. I'm, I'm, uh, I would not look like a, a Navy SEAL. Well, hey, Andre, this has been a lot of fun getting to know you. Where can people find you online? Well, I guess if you just Google me. I think if you Google me, you'll probably uh, I'll pop up. Okay, awesome. And anybody listening, we'll have links and show notes to everything we talked about at mortgagebrokering.com. Hunter, man, it's been great to get to know you. I hope you continue to crush your business. Thanks, brother. I appreciate it a ton. Thanks for listening. If you like the show, please head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. If you do, you'll get three deals in the next week. Okay, that's not entirely true, but we'd really appreciate it. Also, you can check out everything at ilovemortgagebrokering.com. See you next week.